What's up, queens? It's your host, Ro. Do you like female dating strategy? Would you like to see us expand on a lot of different platforms? Then please sign up for our Patreon. We are currently targeting a $10,000 per month goal, which would allow us to work full-time on female dating strategy content in order to expand on different platforms and upgrade our media presence. As a special thank you to our current Patreon subscribers, we will be increasing our upload rate for our bonus content to be weekly on Fridays, as well as offering a special discount for paid annual memberships so please check out our patreon at patreon.com forward slash the female dating strategy that's patreon.com forward slash the female dating strategy thank you let's start the show what's up queens welcome to the female dating strategy podcast the meanest female only podcast on the internet i'm your host ro and this is savannah and i'm lilith and for the first time ever we're introducing l Say hello, Elle. Hello, everybody. Hi, Elle. (laughs) A little bit of background on Elle. We, a couple of months ago, sent out a message that we were looking for a conservative co-host for a soon-to-be-launched political strategy podcast called Female Political Strategy. And we, fortunately, were able to find someone uh, who came from a conservative ideology to join us uh, on that podcast. I wanted to kind of talk about it. We wanted to invite her on the show because we wanted to both introduce her to our audience, but also to um, discuss the controversy that arose when we originally were looking to find a conservative co-host. Because I know when we originally put the the bat signal out that we were looking for, (laughs) that we're looking to reach across the aisle um, for our political strategy podcast, it was not necessarily well immediately well received by our audience who overwhelmingly leans left wing. Yeah. I was, I was surprised that it got the amount of backlash that it did because, uh, I mean, as a Canadian, like conservatives here are pretty normal, but, uh, I don't know about you people in the States. No kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I also second that as a Brit. I find, um, politics in the U S is a lot more polarizing but I'm excited about this new podcast. I'm excited to have Elle on board. I'm excited. It's always good to have a dialogue with people you don't, I mean, you may disagree with. Um, I find that like living in an echo chamber, so to speak, is not really always a good thing. It's always good to, to hear the other side. And you may also find that the other side has really good points as well. Um, because I know when I started, um, you know, I studied um, like politics at uni. When I started, I was quite left wing. By the time I left, I was like in the centre, possibly leaning right. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, opinions can change as well. So your viewpoint might change as well. So I just employ you all just to keep an open mind and and welcome Al. Welcome. Thank you guys so much. Like, I'm super stoked to be here, honestly. And I, I genuinely couldn't agree with you guys more. And you guys are a dope group of girls, for sure. Oh, shucks. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, we do our best. We try. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I uh, wanted to introduce you by talking about your journey to FDS. Like, how did you find FDS? What about FDS appealed to you? Just to kind of introduce you to our audience, but also like show that um, the idea behind FDS is that it should hopefully work for women and we can hopefully find enough commonalities with women who come from varying backgrounds, who come from varying political schools of thought, uh, united against our struggle 
together against the struggle of scrotery. Mm-hmm. The struggle of scrotery. Our struggle against scrotery. Yeah, our struggle against scrotery. And that the struggle against scrotery is multifaceted. And that if you don't talk to women who come from more conservative backgrounds than you're, and considering that a large percentage of women vote conservative and a lot of women who vote conservative who do consider themselves female first and who would also consider themselves more or less feminist, even if they're not um, feminist in the traditional liberal feminist sense, that without having that conversation with women like that and understanding their needs and the kinds of things that they value, then you're only getting part of the conversation. So I kind of wanted to kick that off by asking you to discuss your journey to FDS and why FDS ended up appealing to you as a conservative. For sure. For sure. No, thank you so much for this opportunity because I genuinely couldn't agree more that, especially here in the U.S., um, conversations with those of other leanings has become not only polarized, it's a minefield now. And just within the last like election, last two election cycles, I have just straight up waited until like the third or fourth meeting of somebody to discuss it as if though, you know, it's like sex. Now it's another intimate topic. I just don't get into with everyone, but here I am sharing my intimate, (laughs) intimate parts with the world. So Hey, welcome. Um, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, it, it's good to be out. Um, so I guess I just wanted to start with a quote that I heard when I was younger. And it was, um, if you're young and not a liberal, you have no heart. And if you're an adult and not a conservative, you have no brain. Where is that quote from? That's interesting. I have no idea. Some old white dude probably said it. Okay. <laughs> so um, I'll actually find a source for you and get that back okay. to you. But it really... It made absolutely no sense at the time. I was a I was from the bluest of bluest towns. We had one conservative in um in my high school, in my grade school growing up. Uh, we had the most diverse town ever. We had a hundred and some odd countries represented at just my high school. So I grew up in a blue container. And I don't know if you wanted me to get into my conservative background first, but I, I think it's relevant because it kind of leads into how I found FDS. Um, but I was diehard feminist. Uh, at one point, I identified as a conscientious objector. And I don't know what shifted. I think it had to do with a scrote at some point in my life. But I found out about the military. And I was poor. And student loans in the U.S. are kind of like standard issue if you want to make it in life. So I realized I didn't want student loans. School is very expensive. And I, as an immigrant, wanted to serve my country. So I wound up joining the military and went from the bluest little dot in, you know, the west um, west of the Mississippi to a fairly conservative place. And I'd never met a conservative before, honestly. Like, we had one guy in high school that whose dad listened to Rush Limbaugh, and we thought he was Republican, and everybody hated him for being practically KKK. And... <laughs> to like, you know, people surrounded, I'm surrounded by people with like master's degrees and like all their teeth in their mouth and <laughs> able to speak with proper grammar. Wow, you're conservative <laughs> and you have all of your teeth? <laughs> I actually may have said something along those lines. Oh, that's funny. I shit you not. Um, so I was a hot mess. I was like, but you're a racist. Like, I don't, I was like, but you're not racist, but you are. I don't understand. Why are you Republican? And um, it was a great dialogue back and forth, but um, a lot of what 
you know, led me to the conservative side of the house is the fact that I grew up Muslim. That's really the heart of it. I, I grew up Muslim. I'm an immigrant. I'm from the African continent without getting really too much into it. And the role, the gender roles are very strict and very real. And so I find myself growing up with this very deeply ingrained construct of a woman's role in society and a man's role in society. And there's nothing really spiritual about it. It's very clearly dictated in the Quran what a woman does and what a man does in the house down to like how they pray, who stands behind who, how you walk, who makes decisions, legalities, um, if they're bearing witness. And so joining the military is surrounded by men and having had a series of failed relationships, but having a liberal background, I decided maybe there's, I got to try something different. And maybe my view of gender dynamics as somebody who grew up in a Western world is not right. And maybe I need to like kind of hone in on my roots. And that's kind of when I looked for, you know, female submission, because that's huge in, in the Quran, but I wasn't religious. So I kind of just looked it up on Reddit and this is like mid 2010s. And I found red pill and it was like, Oh God, um, men need to be the leaders of the house and women, need to kind of understand the way men think. And so I really just dove deep into that. You grew up Muslim. So were your parents more conservative? Yeah. So growing up Muslim, it's interesting because you have your values, right? And then you have your party affiliation here in the U.S. And again, I'm from the African continent. So by U.S. standards, I'm black. And you're kind of just told what party you're affiliated with. So we came here and it was like, you're black now. Here's your party. You're a Democrat run with, the, you know, go with the wind. And so, yes, we had conservative values at home, but we weren't Republican. We were Democrat. And that's fairly common actually here in the U.S. amongst like diaspora communities, actually. Right. Okay. So, what, but the way that you grew up, would you say that your parents kind of raised you to have more conservative values? And were you a liberal, like when you voted Democrat, did you have liberal values? Was that like a sort of like rebellion against your parents? How, how did that work. So I'm actually a gold star Republican. I've never voted liberal in my life. Um, so I, yeah, yeah. Um, so the cognitive dissonance was not lost on me. I had conservative values, but yes, to answer your question, I did rebel against my parents by adopting these very liberal views, which were actually more in line with democratic values than Republican values were. Um, but it was one of those things that you just compartmentalize, right? So you have your conservative religious values, but you vote Democrat despite the Democrat standing for everything that goes against your diaspora's values. So yeah, so socialism wrecked the country I'm from. So like a lot of these ideas that Democrats in general tend to posit and now progressives really rub people from my part of the world the wrong way, but still adhere to voting Democrat because that's just the way things are. And when I was younger, I kind of just bought into it. It's like, I'm a Democrat. But then I came home with these ideas that like, I'm pro-gay marriage, I'm pro-abortion, I'm pro all of these things that were starkly not Islamic. Um, and so you just kind of didn't pay attention to that part. You were just still a Democrat. But me being a conservative actually doesn't vibe, it, it doesn't piss off my parents and the older generation as much as it really pisses off like my peers that actually have very liberal values. I think there's a difference between the liberal values voter and then the liberal voter who votes economically, right? Or the mm -hmm. liberal voter who votes because they just don't feel that 
there is a place for them in conservatism, right? Meaning they they feel racially or culturally ostracized or antagonized specifically by conservatives. So then they feel, okay, I have to be a liberal and fight against what is essentially some sometimes like a racialized caste system or racialized fascism coming from the right. Yeah. But it doesn't mean that they don't, in a lot of respects, share some of their values. And you're starting to see, I think, a greater population of uh people of color um, and specifically a lot of Latinos who vote conservative, who are values voters. Like they have a lot of the conservative values in in line, even if they economically might agree with liberals or if they, even if they economically might agree agree with liberals or if they're sort of not really invested in liberal values, some of them are are specifically against liberal values, especially if they come from cultures that are, have more conservative values um, that are informed by their traditional religious values. They come from more patriarchal type culture. So, I mean, that's not odd. Yeah. I've got one question because you mentioned that you weren't religious, um, but you're still conservative. And so a lot of people assume that if you're conservative, it must mean, you know, you're a part of the religious right and so on. So how does that work being conservative, but not religious? Sorry if that's a dumb question. <laughs> no, that's a great question because that was actually going to be my next point. Um, morality wasn't really a part of politics until Reagan era, Christian right, um, you know, say no to drugs and bring morality back to America, bring God back to America. And then, I mean, you had that little stint in the fifties where, um, one nation under God was added to the, um, to the pledge of allegiance. So having political values here in the U S is two things. So one, you actually have political ideologies in which the way a government should interact with its constituents. Right. And then you also have the morality based system. And I think those two exist on both sides, right? So you have the social morality that the left is kind of emerging with now with like the sacred topics that you just don't say anything about, um, which we won't get into, but the social issues that each side kind of panders to. But at its core and at its essence, though, political values and moral values are really not the same thing. Mm, And I think in the US, we kind of shifted away from that because morality gets ratings and then you have that moral high ground of saying well you're wrong because jesus or you're wrong because equality you're wrong because x y and z and then now you've kind of taken facts out of the conversation and you've inserted this high ground that you really can't argue with like what are you gonna do call up jesus have him show up (laughs) third easter i don't know um so that's that's kind of it so no you don't have to be Christian to be conservative, but yes, you do find yourself at a party with a lot of Christians when you are a conservative and vice versa. Like it seems like everybody's scrambling to find the moral high ground, right? Where they feel that their personal values should shape government. Right. So I'm not one of those people that thinks that like your moral values are completely devoid from the way that we govern. Clearly when we pass legislation, it's because we believe in some kind of principle to uphold. The question is always like, whose principles do we uphold and decide are the moral high ground, right? Yeah. So I think it's a little bit tough because when people are like, well, keep religion out of politics and and separation of church and state. Well, I completely and totally agree with that. It's like, what exactly constitutes religious values or moral values, right? Right now you're seeing two competing frameworks of moral values, one coming from academia 
and then one coming from your old school traditional uh, sacred religious text, right? So these both have some kind of moral framework in which they view the world. The question is always who whose values are going to be more effective for governing a populace. I think that's a false dichotomy that we've worked ourselves into that how do you define right if not without religion or some sort of like moral basis. But I think the real dichotomy here is the collective good vice the individual good. Mm-hmm. I think those are that's the real spectrum that we're on that we've shifted away from. You know, before it was, hey, do we do good by the individual or do we do good by all? But we've all kind of broken up into balkanized essentially into these groups of who's more right than the other but if everybody believes what they believe then we're all right and we're all wrong and we stay in a state of chaos and that gets into my more like conspiracy wingnut irregular warfare type stuff which i don't think you guys are trying to get into but um yeah again it's it's just a false dichotomy i don't think morality has to be based morality has to be the conversation it's just who's good are we serving so the funny thing is that both i think both sides think that their side is about the collective good and that the other side is about is bad and individualistic like left like take abortion for example uh left-wing people see abortion as you know all women need to have access to abortion because it's good for you know all of society to you know have have rights or you know or or how do I put it? Like it's good for all of society if women are able to control their reproductive freedom. Yeah, and whereas conservatives see that as more of an individualistic thing, so they say that no, we we are against abortion because it's killing babies, and you know we're speaking for the voiceless, and you know to have an abortion is selfish and individualistic, and so on. So I think like both sides think see themselves as about collective good and that the other side, which is the right thing and that the other side is selfish and individualistic. I don't know. I think it could go both ways. If you're really thinking about society on an individual level first, which is why I am a conservative individual liberties at the smallest personal level, I think we could do a lot of good. Mm. And it it is a little self-centered, but, but I think we think too macro too sometimes because in the U S you don't really have a lot of, focus on the local level politics either. So if we take that like view of not just the individual of 365 million people, but really zoom it into the individual communities and the individual people and the individual areas where families, (laughs) yeah, families, structures. And by individually, you mean like you don't think government should be involved in any type of way. I I mean, I think balance is healthy, Okay, (laughs) you know, you mean like, I guess what you're saying, individ- individual morality or supporting individual morality mean that like the the idea that the government should not be involved in regulating morality? I think we should deregulate as much as possible to protect individual structures. So it's not just individuals, people, right? I think we conflate individual to just mean individual human beings. But no, we're talking about individual structures too, like family structures small businesses that aren't giant corporations. So basically benefiting members of the society and not massive systems of society. 
I see what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, it, and it's interesting because I think a lot, <laughs> I think a lot of, uh, I think a lot of liberals would say that as well, but they just sort of uh, they focus on individual. I mean, liberal is literally about like individual liberty, but it's more about cultural liberty versus yeah. government and economic liberty. Like when it comes to economics and government, they're more so about the collective action, but liberal and their cultural values. Yeah, and. I mean, anybody who can say they are strictly one thing or the other or have 100%, you know, conservative or liberal values, then you're just brand loyal. You're not really loyal to actual values. <laughs> so <laughs> there's a lot of that. There's a lot of just brand loyalty when it comes yeah. to politics. Um, so which is why, which is why I think we think this is a good place to have a conversation because the one thing, um, I'm hoping that we accomplish by launching female political strategy and having multiple opinions is having these conversations that we just had where we can dissect a lot of the issues that are affecting women from multiple angles and then really discuss and parse out um, a strategy or a way forward that makes sense for the way that people actually live and um, not just from strictly an ideological bent, which I think um, when you only listen to one side, you start to lean in towards an ideology that a lot of times alienates women, mm -hmm. alienates women because it doesn't affect or seem to improve their actual practical reality. So I think by having these conversations with people, hopefully, you know, knock on wood, we'll get uh, a wide variety of both conservative and liberal and all of, all across the um, ideological, ideological spectrum. Um, we'll get a a bunch of different guests to come and discuss their philosophy that we can start to parse out, okay, what issues are actually affecting mm -hmm. women? How are these things being approached from women who are conservative versus women, women who are liberal? Where are the ideological bubbles that everyone's in? And then where, where can we find the practical way forward? I think why FDS specifically took off is because it offered a practical way forward for women when it came to dealing with their dating life that didn't come from like these ideological bubbles, you know, specifically we, we drag liberal feminism a lot of time, but we also drag traditional conservatives where there's a lot of um, idea about how women should think and be in relation to men that just wasn't really strategically advantageous for us um, and wasn't reflective of our actual experience and was a lot of times based on a bunch of ego psych that was just outdated or sexist or being pushed onto women. Or just flat out wrong. <laughs> Or flat out factually incorrect. <laughs> factually incorrect. And pushed on women um, as a control tactic, right? To, you know, a way a way to kind of slip patriarchy in in a way that seems like it's going to benefit us, right? So, and with that discussion, I kind of wanted to get into a little bit more of your experience with Red Pill Women because I know um, from talking to some of the other mods that... Uh, Especially um, early on with FDS, there was a lot of women who jumped ship from Red Pill Women to FDS. Um, and from what we heard from feedback that a big portion of them, they just wanted their dating lives to materially improve. And Red Pill Women at least offered uh, a way for them to, like a strategy or a way for them to find some kind of uh, camaraderie or semblance of control over their dating life with other women. And then when they saw FDS take off, a lot of them were like, oh, this feels like way more effective and empowering than what Red Pill Women was. So can we can we talk about your journey to Red Pill Women yeah. and what Heck inspired yeah. you? I mean, for sure. The keyword here is empowering um, because I grew up, again, going back to my Muslim family, not necessarily my own inherent values, but my Muslim culture that was very familiar to me. The gender roles are very real, but again, I grew up in a very liberal environment of like feminism and all of this stuff. 
And so I had a very broken understanding, all that underscored by the elephant in the room, which is my missing father. I didn't grow up with any example of um, a healthy dynamic between a loving woman and a loving man. So that was never modeled for me. So I'm over here trying to intellectually understand what some people were just lucky enough to have been born into. And so in order to just make sense of it, my brain got involved. And I thought at first, like, radical hating men feminism was the way. And this is like pre-internet, pre-social media kind of way. And then I joined the military, found myself surrounded by men and listened to a lot of these men. And, you know, I just realized like, I didn't know anything about men. I mean, I grew up with my mom and all of her sisters and most of my cousins were primarily women. So I didn't know anything about men. Work. Huh? (laughs) (laughs) So you got lucky. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was... It was feminine as fuck. <laughs> so, again, it wasn't healthy femininity because we were all missing our masculine figures. So there was no, there was nowhere that masculinity was modeled in such a way that uh, resonated with you, except for these gender roles. Yeah, exactly, like a book, yeah. and then going to the mosque and just being told that you will submit to your husband, and then. It was kind of contradictory because I see my mom going out, kicking ass, supporting our family and my aunts doing the same thing in a country they don't speak the language of. So it just didn't make sense to me. It's like, why would I be subservient? Wait, this makes no sense. But I found Red Pill Woman um, after a divorce, a very, very young divorce and another breakup. So it's just like, wait, how old were you when you got married and how old were you when you got divorced? If you don't mind me asking. As in true military tradition, I got married at... 18 and a half, almost 19. And then I was divorced Damn. by 23. Yep. Wow. Yeah, why do people in the military get married so young? That's wild to me. It, it's part of like swearing in, support, defend the country, and get married as soon as they can. No, I'm kidding. Um, so, <laughs> so no, um, when you're enlisted, which I was, uh, was it a barracks wedding? It wasn't actually. It was before, it was before all that. We genuinely believed we loved each other. We just weren't right for each other. I thought I knew everything and he, didn't know anything and took advantage of my naivete. And so I just like, again, like I felt victimized. And, um, so, so you got married young and then divorced at 23 and then, and then I dated a guy rebound and it just didn't work. And then I found Reddit and I started exploring, like, why am I single? I swear to God, I think that's what I like looked up and I found red pill. Cause I just wanted to do opposition research. It's like, what do men think? And I started probably in the worst place to start, which is red pill where <laughs> it's men talking about how you need to be a man own up. And at the time it was about spinning plates and all this stuff, but I dug deeper and deeper and deeper and found this like grain, this thread of, you know, being a man, being a leader, taking accountability, being the best that you can and finding a woman that is your subordinate, but like your partner in crime. So like your deputy, because two people that are the same can't be together because there's no complementary nature. And that resonated with me because in the military, it's all about leader subordination, you know, order discipline, like Mm -hmm. those energies, someone sets the order, someone follows the orders that made sense to me. And so I, I fell into it. I found red pill woman. Like, how do I follow these instructions as a woman? And they spoke all the right words. They were like, you need to understand your captain, what his needs are, what your wants are. And in the military, that's how you relate to your commanding officer. That's how you relate to your hierarchy. You, you mm-hmm. follow. But the flip side of that is 
it's not a relationship. It's an employment contract. Yeah, you do yeah. things, you follow things, you tell each other. Yeah. Damn. Okay, that blew my mind. Yeah. It's not a relationship, it's an employment contract. Shit. <laughs> that's a brilliant analogy. Yeah, that's a brilliant way of putting it. And I and I find your journey resonates with me a little bit. Um I didn't get married young, but uh, as a person who grew up in evangelical Christian circles, the concept of like submission for women and then headship for men and then men trying to be like leaders and women having to submit to men um, was heavily pushed by that culture and community. So that was the framework in which, yeah, that was the framework in which I understood relationships for probably the first part of my life. But then you just get out into the real world and realize like, okay, a lot of these motherfuckers are stupid. Why would you submit to these? <laughs> yeah, right? Spoiler alert. And you, you just experience enough men where you're like, why would anybody put them in charge anything, of anything? Yeah. Like, especially yeah, if, you're a woman, yeah. if you're a woman who you are the type of person to take responsibility for yourself, you want to have a relationship and you want to have a relationship where you feel respected. The conservative values don't offer much by that, uh, by that kind of explanation. And, and specifically, I remember there was a book that was being pushed in Christian circles called Love and Respect. And the entire basis of the book was that like men need respect to feel loved and women need love to feel respected. And I remember reading this, like, this seems like horseshit. I need respect to feel respected. Like, <laughs> but there's a lot of um, like mumbo jumbo evil psych, but like Christian psychology framing of these types of relationships. And they ultimately just left me feeling very empty and looking for something else. It's almost like religion is like affirmative action for shitty men. <laughs> you said it. <laughs> Honestly, El, what you're describing there is like a completely alien concept to me because like the, I, okay, so I also, I mean, I had a uh, father growing up, but he was very, um, you know, he like worked a lot. So it wasn't like there or like involved. Right. Um, but you know, in my family, you know, we were raised pretty progressive and like a lot of the women in my family are, you know, career women, like, you know, super strong, empowered, badass, you go out and get shit done. And a lot of the men in my family are incompetent, like alcoholics, mm. like fuck ups. Right. So for me, the idea of like men are supposed to be leaders and women are supposed to submit to them. is like insane to me. Like, why would you put an incompetent person in charge. Right. <laughs> so uh, growing up, I'm like, you know what? Men are just kind of fucking stupid. And like, why would anyone ever listen to them? Like women should be in charge. <laughs> this is stupid. <laughs> you know? So I'm like, I, I, have a, I have a hard time wrapping my mind around that. However, you know, cause when I look at red pill women, I'm like, why would anyone ever fall for that? But then again, I used to think that having porn sex with my boyfriend was fun and sexy and empowering. So I mean, yeah. like, you know, we've all had clown moments in the past. <laughs> you do, you do. And, and like the circus is a part of life. Yeah. Like we all go through the carnival and then you leave with like a clown hangover. You wipe the makeup off and you're like, okay. I'm going to find the right shade of foundation. <laughs> I used to think that Polly, like when my boyfriend wanted to do Polly, I was like, oh my gosh, he's like so sad because I'm not like living in the same country as him. Uh, I should let him fuck other women. Yes. Like, but I thought that was okay. Right. So, I mean, we've all had clown moments from different, you know, whether it's left wing, right wing, I don't know. Like all of this is not beneficial to it. Honestly, equal opportunity clownery on every side. Yeah. It's equal opportunity. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, that, dynamic to me was like, I get this. But I think 
structure is something we all fundamentally crave as people in terms of like hierarchy of needs. It provides security. But once you have security, you don't have that emotional enrichment. Now you feel safe enough to relate, but that relationship will never be there because you had no standard for him to be emotionally mature in the first place. And so now I was left with these like empty ass relationships where, and one relationship where we were I was his deputy. He was the leader. Great guy. Got everything done. We were vibing. This guy didn't even know when I was sad. <laughs> right. And, it was, yeah. and I didn't think anything of it. I thought nothing of it. I was like, I'll leave it for my girlfriend's emotional intimacy is just too much for him. No, the fuck it's not. Mm-mm. It's not. <laughs> yeah. It just, it seems like there was a psyop on both sides to create these competing narratives that ultimately always benefit men. Yeah. Lilith representing what we've come to discuss as sex posi culture um, and uh, these liberal values being a psyop for men to sexually exploit Mm -hmm. women. It's not, it's not even just her. It's, this is something that's been discussed in feminist circles going back since the first sex, sex wars, right? Since like the sixties and seventies and a lot of women who are part of the free love movement Mm -hmm. coming to the exact same conclusion. A lot of them um, ping pong to become like uh, what they would call Jesus freaks where they were like, they were like Christian liberals essentially, but they were women that walked away from the um, more swinging lifestyles, et cetera, et cetera, because they felt very much that this became another ideological framework in which men just used it to coerce women into some kind of uh, sexual or re- sexual emotional relationship exploitation. So I think what made FDS really subversive is that like we're actually creating a framework and doing it unapologetically to where we think it actually benefits women the most, which kinds of things are actually going to make us happier and healthier and put us at a uh, an equal footing in our relationships where we actually feel valued and respected and, uh, and also sexually expressive, right? Um, there's the argument that the left goes too far with the ex- expo- exploitation and then you go on the conservative side and it's just all sexual repression. So obviously neither of those things are great for women. So forging a path forward with FDS and to me has meant that we're actually having this conversation and, and parsing out these nuances in a way that I wish feminist media had really done before, but I guess it's up to us. It's up to us, ladies. Yeah, to recraft, to, to colonize the narrative. Let's, let's take it back. It almost feels like on both the left and the right, it's almost, it's, it, you know, we, you've said that it's like a, a sigh up to maximize m- men's benefit, but it almost feels like, you know, if, if women, if maximizing female benefit is not your number one goal and women's rights are always going to be an afterthought, then it's, n- you're never going to achieve, you know, you have to be specific about your goals, right? And if that's not your goal, it's not going to happen. Um, if you're not consciously working towards that goal, you're not going to achieve it. And so, you know, what comes to mind is, you know, I used to run in like, I used to call myself a Marxist. I know I used to run in Marxist circles. And Girl, I was like, I was a red pillar. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we've, we've all, you know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> off the cloud car. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm kidding. So what, one of the things that was weird to me in Marxist circles is even though like Marxists are supposed to be, you know, pro-female or, or supposed to uh, believe in like male and female equality, it was weird to me how they didn't really have a plan specifically for women. Like talking to socialist men, they'd be like, 
oh yeah, once we create, once we like, you know, rise up and overtake the bourgeoisie and create a, you know, communist utopia, then things are just going to naturally, you know, be beneficial to women. They, they had this like magical thinking that once we achieve revolution or whatever, then everything's going to be great for women. And like the whole reason why women are suffering is because of capitalism. And like, once we overthrow capitalism, it's going to be great. And that at the time that kind of like, I kind of bought it, but now that, you know, as I got older, I'm like, and, and also as I learned history, first of all, the more I realized that if, if you're not putting women first, like women are always going to be like a, a lower priority or it's, it's not going to happen. So they will use any kind of available political system to figure out a way to sexually exploit women. That is the primary goal of males. <laughs> Do you guys want to know like a, a U.S. military, like secret, not, not like classified secret NSA, don't get me. Um, if you want to overthrow a regime, number one thing that they literally tell special operations is educate, liberate the women from the male, like the patriarchy whatever the local structures are. Makes sense. Oh, wow. So we know, the men know, right? And the the paradigm within the red pill side that I think actually very much so complements the liberal side is, let me just underline by saying like, men believe that women hold the key to sex and men hold the key to like marriage or whatever long-term end state that she has. So how do you get your needs met. So you bang on the liberal side, all these sex posy lib femmes that are like, oh my God, my vagina is the world's abundance and all that. Pussy is power. Yeah. Yeah. And then they like get run through, feel empty. And they're like, cool. Like, let me lock down a trad wife. That's like, please marry me, daddy. I'll cook for you every day. And so yeah. either way we fucking lose. And they've created this like false illusion of two teams of like women that are getting fucked over by shitty dick oh round of applause (laughs) (laughs) as you can see this is why we love Elle and this is why we had her as our co-host uh as our conservative co-host um yeah I'm really excited by having this conversation because I feel like especially with your military background like having that insight to military strategy i'm like hell yeah girl military yeah. Strategy. <laughs> but also just like that culture having having an in an understanding of that culture is so key right because there's a lot of women who are part of uh working class or also part of the military or who come from a background who date people in the military don't do it <laughs> don't, do don't it. touch them <laughs> don't touch the wildlife <laughs> i feel like at this point which which profession haven't we crossed off as far as like every profession is scrody <laughs> male nurses i think male nurses are okay I, i've heard from female nurses male nurses sometimes have god complexes <laughs> i'm pretty sure that was crossed off there was like a post on the subreddit a few months ago about you know what professions not today and i honestly i think every, <laughs> every profession, profession was on there <laughs> it was literally everyone every single person <laughs> don't date a dude okay just don't date him <laughs> But, like, one thing I learned about men, though, and I I love men by, like, biological imprisonment. I wish I didn't have, like, I wish I could consent to my attraction to men. Yeah, I'm heterosexual and I'm pissed off about it. I'm really resentful that I'm heterosexual. (laughs) I didn't choose this. It chose me. (laughs) So I did not choose to be this way. But one thing I learned about them is give a man a standard and a goal and a desired end state and they will fucking meet it. They will go They will do whatever they need to do to be successful. And so, like, these women that are like, let me just give him the pussy and then he'll want to pay me back. No, bitch, you did nothing. No, you gave him what he wanted. He had to work for nothing. You know what he's going to do? 
not value you and vice versa the women on like the red pill side that are like dogs carrying around their own leash like hey somebody own me somebody own me (laughs) yeah he'll own you (laughs) like he'll own you but he like he's not gonna feel any like you'll just be a dog on a leash that does things for him so we need to set that priority of saying i get it you're a man and you're like different from me this is how i operate this is what i need you're gonna meet it or else I'm going to find somebody who's willing to do it because I'm fucking gold. And they'll do it. Period. Yes. Yes. I actually find men are actually really great at taking orders. They are. Oh, tell us. Yeah. Like if you say like, this is what I want, they'll, they'll, they'll go off and do it and then come back and be like, tell me I'm a good boy. And I'm like, yeah, you're a good boy. You know? (laughs) Yes. So with that, though, I know a lot of women complain to having to give men orders because of the fact that it is so exhausting to be the manager for men. Yeah, the mental load. Yeah, doing the mental load. And I think, um, and correct me if I'm wrong uh, about this, Elle, it's like a lot of the appeal of red pill women is that with red pillars, they at least have this like uh, mentality that you're supposed to like own your shit or like be the captain of your own ship. Um, it comes with a ton of misogyny and like expectation that women submit yeah. to them, but like it doesn't give them as much as, as an excuse to be like a layabout. And actually, I would say conservative culture in general because I would say this is this is very true of um, a lot of Christian circles. The idea that a man's job is to work, to provide, to be actively involved, to be. Um, an effective leader, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So part of the appeal of being a red pill woman is that you don't have to like making decisions and being in charge is mentally exhausting and you can leave the leadership aspect to someone else. Yeah, exactly. But FGS just says that's being an adult. I like the thing about that is like, they think they deserve special status for doing adult things. Whereas like FGS is like, no, that just makes you an effective member of society. Like you don't, you don't get kudos and brownie points to get to be the boss of me. Cause you showed up and did laundry once <laughs> you showed up to work. Congrats. Now do your job. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and men do want a pat on the back. And I mean, going back to, I think, I don't know if it was you Lola the road that said it, but you don't have to manage, just set your standards and pay attention to your standards. Don't sit there and think that because you communicated out into the wilderness that he heard you, they don't even think in the same English language that we do. And I speak multiple languages. They don't understand any of them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Men don't, like communication doesn't work with men. The only language they speak is consequences (laughs) and rewards. It's consequence and action. Yeah. The the communication thing is real. We talk about this, about how on the subreddit, it's really easy to, ID men who are LARPing as women after a while because they just fundamentally do not communicate the way that we communicate. They don't understand. They don't understand the framework in which we understand life. And they'll just always like, for whatever reason, they always tip their hand and it's really easy to spot after a while. And it's been kind of a surprising thing. It's so obvious. Like, hello, fellow females. (laughs) Yes. Yes. What's up with our vaginas today? What? (laughs) Yeah, literally. So obvious. Did everybody get their period? Man, this period sucks. Like, (laughs) (laughs) so, and and I mean, don't get me wrong. Like I, I, I love, love, love men. And I guess in a way, as much as I like love liberals, they're very different and I don't agree with them most of the time, but we need to coexist peacefully, right? Was it was it Bush that said, I know like humans and fish can coexist peacefully? Like, I know that women and men can coexist peacefully if we just learn the rules of the road for both of us. And yes, that requires a little bit of accountability as a woman, which drew me to FDS. It felt like I found a gang of self-aware 
sisters that were holding each other accountable, telling each other, hey, have standards, bitch up, do what you need to do, and like be your best self to yourself first. Don't be a pick me. Don't be a slave to this desire of wanting a man because if you're like needy, you're just going to get a man who has no self-worth and derives his self-worth from you needing him. And that's gross. Yeah. And I, that's, that's a big thing that drew me to FDS too, is because having been on both sides of the, on both sides of the culture aisle, having, having grown up Christian and then gone on to become like a, a liberal elite, um, (laughs) I started to feel like I just didn't like the victim politics of either. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was about to say the same thing. That's that's yeah. another thing that I think a lot of conservative women get turned off by mainstream feminism is the endless even even both rad femmes and lib femmes have the victimhood narratives that I think turns off a lot of women. Um nobody likes to see themselves as like powerless and a victim and, and so on. And even when you are oppressed, even if you are an actual victim, like literally like women in abusive relationships don't see them as see themselves as victims of an abusive relationship often they'll end up like blaming themselves or and do you want to see a way out as well like you don't yeah like it, it's actually feel it's psychologically uncomfortable to see yourself as a victim for a lot of people well and it's not effective right you can be a victim but also take responsibility and so i don't want to take away from anybody because i know part of the reason why there's an emphasis on, on victimhood politics is to validate that a lot of women are victims because before there was so much victim blaming in our culture. Um, Mm -hmm. And I do feel that there's been, you know, there's been a a need to validate the victimhood of women, but at the same time, how do we move forward in a way that's not just forever victim politics? Because, because when you keep uh, appealing to empathy and appealing to victim politics, you have this assumption that men care. And the problem is, is they just don't care. (laughs) And and I I don't mean to say that'd be funny, but like when you look at how women live and, countries where they don't have a lot of rights you start to realize like they will literally have us like hopping around on one foot in our backyards never doing shit foot binding yeah foot binding or doing nothing before they'll admit that they're the problem yeah so when you just keep trying to appeal to the empathy of a group that just doesn't give a shit yeah then you're always going to be in a losing position so while i think it's important to validate when women are victimized and the idea that men should be held accountable for victimizing women, I think it's also important for us to not fall into victimhood narratives so that we're actually strategically advancing our own rights, right? And it just feels like all of uh, liberal feminism has become this victimhood narrative about everyone's varying identities and like intersectionality, which is like a bastardized version version of what intersectionality was actually meant. It's now Victim Olympics. like Victim Olympics. And then on the conservative side, it seems like um, there's a little bit more of like self-efficacy, but then you just get into a lot of like slut-shamey behavior, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Like, too much victim blame. On the right, there's way too much victim blaming. On the left, there's way too much, like, lack of personal accountability. And I know that personal accountability has been coded as this, like, right-wing. Like, if you talk about personal accountability, you're a conservative. But at the same time, I think that, you know, I, you know, I read a lot about victim blaming. And one of the things that annoys me a little bit about the discussion is that, you know discussion around like what can a woman woman do to prevent herself from being victimized is seen as victim blaming but at the same time you know if you want you know say like male violence like if you want men to stop being violent to women 
you know, women have to do something about it because men want it to continue, right? Like women are the only ones who want things to change. Yeah, you have to do something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So if you're the one who want things to change, you're you're the one for even if it's not your fault, you know, even if it's, you know, someone else aggressing towards you, if you want to change things, then you're the one who's going to have to do something about it. But I see I actually think that conservatism conservative women do think they're changing things. They just think that like they're they're um, changing things within the patriarchal structure by adhering to it, right? Meaning that they are bringing a feminine voice to what is what is uh, a patriarchal structure, and and so they just kind of have this attitude like if they adhere to these values, then first of all, a they'll be protected. It'll work then out it'll for them, and sometimes them. they are, they do yeah. enjoy more privileged social status. Um, to me, it, it seems similar to a lot of the women who. Um, think like, oh, if I just like do everything like the boys do, then I'll be in a similar, uh, I'll, I'll be respected, but it's just, you can't, they won't respect you because you're not playing, you're playing by their rules. So I I think I just want to delineate between two groups, the religious conservatives and the non-religious, like the ideal ideological conservatives. Um, cause I think you find a lot more of that, you know, morality based patriarchy honoring problem within the religious side of the house than you do in the ideological conservatives where it's like individual liberty, individual accountability. I get you're a victim. I validate your experience. Well, how do we move past it? Um, But I guess there is something to be said with not always being a squeaky wheel, right? Like at the end of the day, we have to coexist with men. We have to coexist and get along at some point. And some of us like are attracted to them. So we can't malign them 24 seven. So in a way, I think there's something to be said about learning how to work within the system instead of breaking it. So it only fits us. So how do we find balance where we're acknowledging where the system doesn't serve us as women and, you know, violate some of our needs and our purposes. But I think with FDS, like we're just running towards the other direction and we'll figure it out when we, when that happens. I mean, I'm not (laughs) even being funny. It's like, we're purposely trying to shift some of the Overton window of, of conversation because quite frankly, because we know what patriarchy looks like. We've had thousands of years of what that looks like. What, what, like, what realistically does like female supremacy or like matriarchy look like? We have no idea. I have no idea what that actually functionally looks like. But we can, we can start in our personal relationships, right? Where we can be the boss and the leaders of our own relationships. And it doesn't necessarily have to be this like femdom type deal, but like it can be one where you leave. I love femdom. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> that's that's little. Uh... Oh my gosh, Lily. <laughs> Don't you hate that it has to be a sexual kink for a woman who wants to be and feel like she's in power in her relationship? It has to be kink, yeah. It has to be fetishized. Yeah, for me, it's not about a sexual kink, okay? It's just I like to be in control of my life and I like men who do things <laughs> for me. Same. <laughs> and, I, and I get what you're saying, Ro. And so it's kind of just normalizing it. Just normalizing that you have yeah. standards and you are going to date around and not sleep. And I'm speaking on a very micro level where it's just interpersonal, right? Where it's like, I'm not going to sleep around. I'm not going to allow porn in my relationship. And I'm going to be single and have fun until I find a guy who's willing to accept my standards. Yeah. If you're just that boss enough, they'll be like, okay. I I guess. Yeah, I'll work with it. Yeah, they don't have a choice. The thing about this is like men always, they always, there's always like some big like push and surge where they throw a tantrum about whatever women are going to 
uh, try to do for themselves to make them more effective. But then it's like, what are you going to do? Stop trying to have sex with us if we do it? <laughs> no, they're never going to stop. Like they know, like they're, they're slaves to their biology in that kind of means. It's like if I even think I said this in the Gail Dines episode, if every woman got a PhD, then PhDs would be sexy. Like, that's just the way it is. They're not, they're going to figure out it. Or they, then they're just going to have to fuck pe- women with PhDs. They're just going to have to deal with it. She's uh, call me doctor. PhDs, there's no, there's nothing they can do about that. That's why they always try to like shut down the conversation and have like this like initial uh this initial surge of like complete onslaught of like antagonizing attacking making sure these ideas never take hold because if they take hold it's it's a wrap for them and they know that they're gonna have to either shape up or or die alone basically and like men have literally said the reason why i hate fds is because it's gonna make my dating life harder that is literally what they've said yep and it's like good it should be harder good they should (laughs) i'm seeing a guy who like literally always asks me like what is the appeal of fds is that practically like themselves i'm like no i mean you're dating me right are you happy he's like yeah wait you talk about fds with men how does that work because i just keep that shit to myself (laughs) i don't show my enemy my playbook (laughs) the guys who aren't like shitty don't care i don't care it's like this is who i am i'm pretty dope and there's parts of me that will make you uncomfortable like parts of you make me uncomfortable take it or leave it actually one of the things i've learned from dealing with men over the years is that after the initial tantrum there's just not shit they can do unless they like plan on doing unless they plan on like doing it taliban style and trying to like line us up and i'll shoot us but even even then even with the women that were protesting even the taliban was loath to actually gun down a bunch of women like the optics of that who's gonna have your babies who's gonna be your but also i'm also like super pro second amendment for that reason because in the south where it's like super pro second amendment and i carry a big purse they don't know what i'm carrying See, that's crazy to me as a Canadian that Americans, like, this is a stereotype that I have of Americans that everyone just walks around with a handgun in their purse. In Texas. And, you know, you're seconds away from a shootout at any moment. <laughs> in Texas. Depends on, it depends on the state. Yeah, it depends on the state. It depends Damn. on the city and the state. Um, in more gun um, strict states and cities, you'll find gun violence actually really high because a lot of people aren't armed. But, like, try to shoot up anything in Texas, Uh, right? And, like, most people are going to be armed. Save for the El Paso thing. That's the understanding is if a lot of good guys are armed, it'll de-incentivize a lot of bad guys. I carry one because I'm a small woman and I want to shoot the guy. Like, that's that's it. So, okay, one as much as I am, like, skeptical, I mean, okay, I'm not, I don't, I'm not anti-gun, but I do think that gun control, like, I'm happy with Canada's gun control laws for the most part, um, but the merit of a lot of people having guns is that literally, like, no one could invade the U.S. There's, like, a yeah. gun behind every blade of grass. The U.S. is uninvadable, so I'm kind of glad that you, I'm kind of glad you guys are our neighbors, like. <laughs> <laughs> we got you, Canada. We're armed to the teeth. Right, and that's the argument that, uh, a lot of conservatives make against like Canadians is that like you guys can be the way you are because we are the way we are right like because you have your big brother Americans who will uh, defend you <laughs> because they're all armed to the teeth over here the psycho like rednecks next door that like shoot right. off fireworks all year round <laughs> but like you know nothing bad's gonna happen thanks daddy America <laughs> the really effective part of FDS is that we have actually started to shift the conversation make women feel like they actually have some real control of their life for the average quote-unquote normie woman obviously there's always outliers and every time we make these 
definitive claim, someone's always like, well, I'm not like that, or I don't believe this, or I, I like this, et cetera, et cetera. For the average woman, plotting out a map forward to a place where we can actually uh, start our negotiations with men, right? Because right now I feel like we're in a compromised position on both sides, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So as much as we talk about like women having a lot of choices, the problem with the absence of um, some kind of standard, and I think we touched on this a little bit on the in the episode we did with um, Zoe and uh, overall gender roles, is that when we got rid of the idea of gender roles, gender roles were also serving as a peace treaty in some respects between men and women. And without the gender roles, you're seeing a lot of uh, exploitation happen because men are just taking the quote unquote tactical advantage, right? They're just taking whatever benefits them and then uh, trying to sell that or pressure women into that. And I think the next frontier of gender relations is sort of women actually pushing forward a narrative to balance out the amount of men who are taking um, the parts of feminism, et cetera, that they agree with and want to exploit to their benefit and rejecting the other ones and being realistic about it too, right? Like you're not going to be able to um, socialize certain aspects of maleness out of them. And I think that's, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's been the big, uh, <laughs> that's been the big thing that like made me crack with, uh, you know, mainstream lib femme, like the, even rad femmes have this idea that, um, you know, Oh, men are the way that they are because they've been socialized this way. And I'm like, mm-hmm. really, I feel like testosterone is, you know, a pretty big influence on like male behavior. And so, you know, I don't know if you've ever been to a farm, but you know, when a, when a, when rams are bashing their skulls against each other, they're not doing that because they were socialized to be that way. They're doing that because they have <laughs> testosterone. I saw Daddy Ram and Uncle Ram fight it out. Um, I think there's. Uh, it's also worth noting that biologically, and going back to like our evolutionary purposes, women do relate more by talking and building relationships because we literally we we are all we had in the past it behooves the human evolution. It behooves the human race for women to be able to do that. To yeah. relate, to like each other, to trust each other. Cause he trust, we trusted each other with our babies. We raised to collaborate. Yeah, we, it it yeah. takes a village really means something. I mostly like, agree with that. The only thing is I, th- I think hu- human beings, like our great strength as a species is our ability to collaborate with one another, not just women, but men too. And if you look at, if you look at how, you know, humans are different from like other species, a lot of species are, um, are not social. Like they'll, you know, the male will like fuck the female and then leave. And then she Mm -hmm. raises it by herself. But like, we're capable of critical thinking and override, you know, we're capable of making choices that override our, you know, more primitive, you know, reptile brain instincts. Yeah. Yeah. And mammalian brain. Like we have a human brain. So yeah. What is the way? The future is female? Are we, are we doing Hashtag, that? Hashtag the future is female. Yeah. So what, yeah. What does that mean for the future? So, um, so this was, um, a little bit of a sneak peek of the kinds of topics and, uh, the things we'll be covering on female political strategy and an introduction to our new co-host L. Thank you guys. Thank you guys so much for having me. We're really excited to have you. Yeah, it was a great discussion. So we will be continuing this discussion on female political strategy. Um, Uh, really looking for the female-focused politics angle on a lot of the popular news stories of the day. We will be launching in the next month or so. So look out for our social media to get our official launch date. And for all you queen shit tier 
subscribers on Patreon, you will get be getting a sneak peek of the Female Political Strategy Podcast. So we'll post some bonus content on there for you to listen to if you are wondering what kinds of uh, ideas we will be circulating. So look forward to seeing you there, guys. Please check out our website at thefemaledatingstrategy.com as well as our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash thefemaledatingstrategy and our Twitter at fem.strat. Uh, we just posted some pretty funny bonus content this past week. <sighs> Collective sigh. Let's give them a, a sneak tip. So this woman tried to give advice to a woman whose husband was having sex with men Ugh. on the side. So if you want to hear what happened and our advice on that, go ahead and check out our Patreon. All right. So thanks for listening, Queens. <laughs> for all you political podcast girls, we're coming for you. <laughs> we're going to fuck up this industry. <laughs> Die mad.